You know, you think about Christmas spirit. What comes to mind for you? I think we typically associate it with things like Christmas movies and Christmas carols, Hallmark movies. There's decorations and parties and cookies and Santa Claus and ugly Christmas sweaters. And I mean, you get the idea. We encourage people to get in the spirit and to show some spirit and to put their spirit on. Christmas spirit is Ebenezer Scrooge after he has seen the three ghosts. Christmas spirit is George Bailey after Clarence the angel earns his wings. It's the Grinch after all the Who's down in Whoville are still singing even though he stole all their presents and he stole all their decorations. You remember in the movie Elf, the Clawsometer? It measures Christmas spirit. So the more belief in Santa Claus equals more Christmas spirit. The more Christmas spirit there is, the more power the reindeers have to, to do their thing. So we think about Christmas spirit, often we think of it as a feeling, that it's a mindset, it's kind of a, a belief. It's that mixture of nostalgia from the past, the first clip we watched, and the magic in the moment, that second clip, that kind of makes us just feel good this time of year. We, we talk about trying to keep the spirit of Christmas all year long, but let's face it, nobody really does that. That's why December is such a unique month on the calendar. But what if I told you that Christmas spirit has nothing to do with carols or decorations or movies or presents or, or sweaters? That the real Christmas spirit, the first Christmas spirit, takes us all the way back to the creation of the world in the book of Genesis. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the Bible says. We catch a glimpse of Christmas spirit when God said, let us make man in our image in the book of Genesis. Who was he talking to? Well, we believe he's talking to the Son, Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the real spirit of Christmas. We might talk about Christmas spirit as it relates to holiday cheer, but, but God's fingerprints are all over the Christmas story because the Holy Spirit and his presence and his power will, were all a part of the story. So I want to show you today how Jesus was foretold by the Spirit how he was conceived by the Spirit, and how he was confirmed by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, Jesus was foretold by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Apostle Peter wrote, actually in the New Testament, in 2 Peter 1.19, we have the words of the prophets as a light shining in a dark place. You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter tells us that the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus came about from God through the Holy Spirit. We talked about the prophet Isaiah last week. He wrote 700 years before Christ. He said in Isaiah 7, 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. King David wrote in Psalm 22 about the afflicted one whose hands and feet were pierced. Isaiah wrote in chapter 3 that the suffering Savior would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. His wounds would heal us and his death would save us. There are dozens of prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Jesus. You know, I got to thinking this week about towns and cities and how often we make assumptions about people based on where they're from, whether that's fair or not. Did you know that there is a town in Arkansas that is called Toad Suck, Arkansas? 
I don't know where that name came from. I'm not sure I want to know. But one might make certain stereotypes about people from a town like Toadsuck, Arkansas, whether it's fair or not. When we lived up in Indiana, we had a gnawbone Indiana just down the road from where we lived. There was a little store, convenience store and gas station in that town. It was called Gnawmart. I thought that was pretty creative. I like that. But you kind of get the idea that a major university is probably not going to build in Gnawbone, Indiana. I don't know. It just doesn't seem to be a fit. There's a town in Illinois that's called Normal, and there's another town called Oblong. Now, those words aren't so unusual, but if you read in the newspaper that a normal man married an oblong woman, you might get interested in that. You might start to think, I wonder what their kids are going to look like. You know, I mean, where you're from sometimes sticks with you whether you want it to or not. The Old Testament promised that the son of David, the Messiah, the Savior, was going to come from Bethlehem. But the Old Testament also said that he would be despised and looked down upon. And because Jesus grew up in Nazareth, and because Nazareth was a toad-suck kind of town, people called him a Nazarene, which was actually an insult in the first century. Now, interestingly, the Old Testament prophet Hosea also said that God would call his son out of Egypt. So we've got the Holy Spirit telling us in the Old Testament the Savior would come from Bethlehem, he would come out of Egypt, and he would be a hick from a small town in Galilee. Now, how does all that work? Well, funny story. Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. But Caesar Augustus, the ruler uh, of Rome, made everybody go to their hometown to register and to pay taxes, and Bethlehem was Joseph's hometown. That's why they were in Bethlehem when it came time for Jesus to be born. Not so easy for Mary. Her OBGYN is 80 miles away up in Nazareth. But Bethlehem is where Jesus is born because that's when her time came. So that's how he could be from Bethlehem but also be from Nazareth. Now, when King Herod tried to have Jesus put to death, Joseph had to run off to Egypt with Mary and with the baby to keep them safe. That's why Hosea could say that Jesus would come out of Egypt and yet be an Israelite from the promised land. Now, another thing, we don't often stop to think about this, but the world was so vast to the people in Jesus' time. I mean, most people lived their entire lives in the same small community where they were born, and they just never ventured very far, far at all. I mean, Nazareth is 80 miles from Bethlehem. That's a little over an hour uh, for us today. For some of you, it's a little less than an hour. We'll talk about that later. Man, back in Jesus' day, that's like almost a week's journey. And then some people might commute that far every day, 80 miles. But you just didn't want to take a trip like that very often in the first century. The world is just smaller now. We talk about global economies now, not just local economy. Man, 100 years ago, the idea that you could wake up in the morning in Kentucky and you could go to bed tonight in Australia, that seemed like science fiction. But our perspective has shifted as the world has gotten smaller. Now, truthfully, not everybody's perspective has shifted. I was talking to a lady a couple of months ago who is from New Haven, and she was telling me she had a sister. And I said, oh, is your sister local? And she said, oh, no. No, she lives in Louisville. <laughs> and I laughed because uh, she said, I guess that, that probably Louisville's local to you. I said, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking I've got, you know, a, a daughter 
and her family that are two hours away. I got a sister and brother-in-law who are six hours away. I got a son and granddaughter who are 10 hours away. So yeah, Louisville feels pretty local to me. I'd love to have everybody, you know, that close. But in the first century, man, Nazareth and Bethlehem were not local. 80 miles was days away. Egypt was worlds away. But the Holy Spirit suggested that in one way or another, Jesus would have roots in three different places. And he did because God knew what was coming. The spirit of Christmas made sure that it turned out exactly the way God promised. You know why that matters? You know why that's important for you and for me? Because the same Holy Spirit who foretold that first Christmas knows exactly what's going on in your life this Christmas. The same Holy Spirit who watched over the life of Jesus is watching over your life and mine right now. And sure, God gives us free will. He gave Jesus free will. But man, if we walk in step with the Spirit and we align our will with God's will, and the Spirit sees past, present, and future for us, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear and worry because He's with us. And if we've surrendered to the Lord, man, He's in us. Now, Scripture also says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this brings us back to the New Testament. The angel Gabriel was sent to a woman named Mary in the town of Nazareth and also to Joseph, also from Nazareth. And this angel made the most shocking gender reveal announcement of all time. Let me show you what he said first to Mary. In Luke chapter 1, verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary's first thought was, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She did not refuse the assignment. She didn't question the angel's words. She just couldn't conceive of a divine conception. And she wanted to know the mechanics of how this all was going to play out. And I think that's a fair question. The answer from God was the spirit of Christmas. The Holy Spirit of God would overshadow her in some way. He would plant a tiny seed of the baby Jesus in her womb. The embryo of God's Son would grow in her body. And Mary was confused, but she said, Okay, may it be to me as you have said. Now let's be honest. Like Mary, sometimes we are confused by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament says that God's Spirit lives in us as followers of Jesus, that we surrender our lives to God. We repent of our sins. We confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit lives inside of us. He leads us into truth. He convicts us of our sins. He marks us as children of God. 
He empowers us with spiritual gifts to do God's work in the world. But you know what I've kind of experienced and learned over the years when it comes to the Holy Spirit? The more I submit to God's Spirit and God's will, the more surprising God's leading. I mean, the more I ask for guidance, I kind of give my plans, my agenda to Him, the more unexpected His direction often turns out to be. I was preaching at a large established church up in Indiana when God led our family to go plant a church in Bluffton, South Carolina. A church plant is exactly the opposite of a large established church. But I am convinced that that God wanted us to go there and to do that. And, And so we responded. I have felt the Holy Spirit nudge me at times to confront somebody about an issue in their life or a path that they're on that seemed destructive. And man, I hate confrontation. But it just seemed like that's what God wanted me to do. When I connected with Leadership Nelson County here in town last year, I prayed that God would connect me with some people from here in town who were not a part of our church. But then I felt like God was pressing me to host a a Leadership Nelson County Day here at our church to invite the whole class, and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. What if nobody came? What if people were offended like I was trying to hijack the leadership process and try to benefit in some way by getting them to come here? But we offered that on a Sunday in September of 2019, and 10 out of the 21 of us were here. A couple others would have been here had it been on a different day. And seeds were planted, and friendships were forged. Now listen, I am no Mary, the mother of Jesus, okay? They're never going to write songs about me or about my life or my ministry. And my guess is, probably not you either. But God's Spirit is alive and well, friends. And he is ready to lead us and help us and inspire us and convict us if we are open to his influence in our lives. The spirit of Christmas came to Mary, but also Mary's fiancé Joseph was about to get a dose of Christmas spirit. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, did you notice it says that Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit? I can only assume that Mary had to talk to Joseph about why she was pregnant. And she tried to explain to him that she had not betrayed him. She had not been promiscuous. This child was the son of God. The Holy Spirit had done this to her. But put yourself in Joseph's place. I mean, sure, he knew Mary, and he knew how out of character this was for her. And yet still, pregnant by the Holy Spirit, I mean, come on. Now, at least he did not drag her before the town elders, try to have her stoned to death for fornication. At least he cared enough about her to try to protect her safety and her reputation as much as he could. At least he was going to walk away quietly and not throw her under the bus. But man, his heart's broken. Mary has destroyed his trust. Only she hasn't. 
Because when the angel Gabriel verified her story, Joseph found himself believing it's true. And he had to have been overwhelmed with the news. I mean, relieved, but also overwhelmed. Mary's telling the truth. That's good. Nobody else in town got a vision from God. That's bad. I still get to marry Mary. That's good. Everybody's going to think it was a shotgun wedding. That's bad. I'm going to be a dad. That's good. But I'm going to be stepdad to the Son of God. That's terrifying. And so the wheels are turning and his mind is racing. And this is a lot to take in. But you know what I love about Joseph? And man, we don't, we don't read much about Joseph in Scripture. We don't have much information about him at all. But here's what I love about him. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, the angel tells Joseph in a dream to believe Mary. This really is a child from the Holy Spirit. Take her as your wife. The very next verse, Matthew 1, 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. In Matthew 2.13, the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, told him to flee to Egypt because Herod wanted to try to kill baby Jesus. The very next verse, Matthew 2.14, so he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt. He didn't even sleep till morning. He went right then. In Matthew 2.20, the angel of the Lord came back and told Joseph that Herod was dead. It was time to take the family home. The very next verse says, so he got up, he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. Every time God told Joseph to do something, the very next verse says he did exactly what God told him to do. God said jump. Joseph said how high? Because that was his mindset. But it's fair to say that at first, Joseph doubted this whole Holy Spirit story. Really, Mary? You're pregnant by the Holy Spirit? The baby is God's son? How gullible do you think I am? Don't answer that. I mean, he's, he's upset. But then God says, you know, Joseph, straight up, she really is pregnant from the Holy Spirit. You can trust me on this. And Joseph said, okay. And you know what? Sometimes when life is hard, and sometimes when life is scary, and sometimes when life is confusing, it's just not so easy to to hear and trust the Holy Spirit. Maybe we get a nudge and we talk ourselves out of it. I don't know where that came from. Or sometimes in a year like 2020, we start to think maybe God's just packed up and moved out. You know, I'm not sure he's even listening to me right now. Or we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing happens and we start to doubt if he answers prayer at all. Or maybe we start to think, you know, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but he's for good people. He doesn't work with people like me but friends Joseph in the New Testament is like exhibit a that if we stay faithful and we just keep doing what God says to do even if we have doubts even when things don't make sense God's going to bless that that we need to trust that God's spirit is going to see us through you know when I was in sixth grade I remember that I was riding the school bus home one day it was December and I saw a sign in a liquor store window that said, get your Christmas spirits here. And I was just a kid, but I remember thinking, there's just something messed up about that. That's not what Christmas spirit is. Well, we know, don't we, what Christmas spirit is. That God's Holy Spirit is still here 
and he is still with us, and he is still strong in us, and we can still trust him. We need to cling to the spirit of Christmas, believing that God didn't bring us this far to abandon us. He didn't send Jesus to bring us grace, only to withdraw his grace when we need it most. He didn't promise to fill us up, only to let us down. The spirit of Christmas, still strong. And you know what else we learn about the Holy Spirit and about Jesus in Scripture? That Jesus was confirmed by the Spirit. You remember in Luke chapter 1 how the angel Gabriel appeared to a priest named Zechariah. And he told Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a baby. And that baby would be the forerunner of the Messiah. He would be just a few months older than Jesus. He would grow up to prepare the people for the coming ministry of Christ. Look what it says in Luke 1.13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He said he will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. That first Christmas time, God did not just send his son as amazing and miraculous as that is. He sent another baby as well, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. The Holy Spirit spoke through John, and he confirmed that Jesus was the Savior. Through the Holy Spirit, John said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Through the Holy Spirit, John said, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Through the Holy Spirit, John declared that Jesus was the Son of God. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, all four Gospels tell us that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. God spoke from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. The Spirit of Christmas, the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus was foretold by the Spirit, he was conceived by the Spirit, he was confirmed by the Spirit. And friends, listen, the same Spirit is with us today and is in us today and is among us today. Now, I don't want to freak you out, but Christmas is five days from now. That's crazy. Five days till Christmas. For many people, this is the most exciting week of the year. Now, for others of you, it's the worst week of the year, and I get that, and I'm sorry. But this is, it's a big deal. But in about 10 days, or maybe two or three weeks, the decorations are going to start to come down, and the credit card statements are going to start to show up. And the lights of December are going to dim, and the cold of January is going to seep in under the door. Because the truth is, whether we like it or not, Christmas comes and Christmas goes. The anticipation builds for weeks, and then in a matter of hours, man, it's over. So what's the bottom line? What do we take home from this? What's God up to during this season? Christmas comes and goes, but the spirit of Christmas never leaves. I'm not talking about the, the cheery, gather around the fire and open presents kind of spirit of Christmas. 
God's Spirit never leaves. God's Holy Spirit is strong, just as real, just as influential in January as He is in December. Christmas comes and goes, but the Holy Spirit of Christmas never leaves. You know, years ago, a man named Bob Fife taught at Milligan College down in Tennessee. Both my boys went to Milligan, a nephew as well. My brother and sister graduated from there. I had an aunt and uncle go there. A lot of connections with Milligan College. And Bob Fife was a veteran of World War II before he came back and taught. And he told one time about his battalion fighting their way across France in the dead of winter. And it was one bitter, cold Christmas Eve. And he had to bed down for the night in an abandoned barn. And he said, I thought to myself, Fife, you must be the sorriest, loneliest person in the world right now to spend Christmas Eve in a cold barn thousands of miles from home. And then the Holy Spirit nudged him. And he realized that Jesus spent his first Christmas in a barn far from home. And Bob Fife said, what started out as a heartache for Christmas became my most heartwarming Christmas memory. Man, it's been a tough year. I know some of what some of you have gone through this year, but I don't know what all of what any of you have gone through this year. There are things that you're going through that you can't even articulate, but God knows. I'm going to tell you something. Christmas comes and Christmas goes. But the spirit of Christmas never leaves. God will be just as faithful in January as he is right now. Let's pray. Father, we... We kind of think about this season, and some people face it with such joy and such excitement. And I know, frankly, some people dread it. I remember the woman who said to me, I wish I could go to sleep in November and wake up in January because it was so hard in December. But whether this is an exciting time of year or a hard, hard time, God, would you remind us today that the spirit of Christmas is not about parties and presents. It's about your presence. It's about you being here among us through your Holy Spirit. It's about knowing that this life is just a, a warm-up for real life. We thank you that when Jesus came, he brought salvation with him. He brought eternity with him. He brought promises of forgiveness and hope and joy and meaning and purpose for eternity. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to cling to you. Help us to be a heart and a, and a life that is open to the Holy Spirit's leading and presence. Thank you that you renew us day by day through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.